cannot stop. <laughs> Zoom cannot stop Dharma. <laughs> Zoom cannot stop the heart and our connection. We're a Sangha right now, all of us together. And Zoom cannot stop that. It's stronger than than the than than the the, the mechanisms. So it's lovely to be with you. And uh, I've been to Berkeley at uh, Sangha and uh, in, in 2019 gave a, a session. So some of you may remember um, my visit. Mm-hmm. So what we usually do, and I explain this to Stephen, is we we sit for a while to just. Um, just collect ourselves and 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 share the moment. And um, Stephen offered to lead us in the meditation. Um, we usually sit for for a half an hour to the top of the hour. But um, how about if we sit for just twenty minutes tonight, so we have as much time uh, to explore as we as we'd like. So, uh, Stephen, if you would lead us in the meditation and um, and then I'll I'll ring the bell and uh, and we'll have a just a f- few short announcements and then uh, then spend time together with you so please so I would like to uh, kick off this meditation I just want to say one word before that that um, more and more, and including these times of crisis, uh, I feel that the movement of refuge is really needed and is a beautiful way of entering into meditation. So I'd like to guide that for, uh, for a moment or two, and then there'll be silence. So let's uh, settle down, breathe out. A long out breath, letting go everything that was, everything that is our functional life, everything that has happened. And drop into presence. Relax and drop in the movement of dropping the movement of surrender. Deeply surrender into the now, into this moment, which is fully there, ready to receive us. And the sense of refuge can be very real. Let's feel it together now as a sense of coming home. We come home to a deep sense of being alive, being aware, being connected. And feeling it as a home, as a place we are held, that is totally right.
Now we move to our usual practice. There'll be silence. But do get a sense that everything that happens is happening in my in my home. I take refuge in this experience of being right now. And just feel that deep dropping in to where we are, to where we belong.
mute. And here's start video. Okay. Here's unmute, and here's
let yourself come out slowly and gently. Please stay muted unless you're um, you're asking a question. <clears throat> and um, before we we um, have Stephen share with us, I want to um, just take care of a little bit of uh, a few announcements and, and business. As you know, if you've come to our group before or sat in retreats with with us, um, the tradition of Donna, and I want to put in Donna for Stephen, if you would like to uh, share it and show your appreciation. It's uh, it's not quite 6 a.m. Stephen's time. Um, and there's the uh, the Donna uh, payment, paypal.com, paypal.me slash Stephen Folder. So thank you for your generosity and, and thank you, Stephen, for your generosity. <clears throat> and I uh, just have two announcements. One is I'm going to be leading a, a three-day non-residential uh, retreat this weekend uh, through IMS. I'm putting it in the in the chat box right now. A devotion to the sacred, um, awakening wholesome states of practice starts tomorrow, Friday. Um, West Coast time, uh, 4.30 in the afternoon uh, to 6, East Coast time, 7.30 to 9 on Friday night, and then all day Saturday and uh, Sunday morning. So there's a link that can show you that. And in a couple of weeks, um, I'll be leading a four-week course on uh, the Brahma Viharas those um, heart practices of loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. Uh, that's an online course and um, there's there's the link to that. So, okay, that's the business out of the way. So Stephen, um, I, I, I thought as, as we spoke that maybe you could offer some words um, whatever you are moved to share at this time. And I have a few questions and I'm sure many people have, uh, have questions and, and thoughts that they want to share and um, sharing in community. So uh, I'm really interested to hear, hear from your perspective. First, I'm wondering how you're doing and also, um, Maybe you can share with us how, how we can use our practice to hold this and, and any other words that uh, come to mind before we open it up to conversation. So please. Okay, thank you, James. Um, yeah, we are in the midst of uh, great suffering and violence here. And I have to say that up to now, I've been feeling quite personally relatively safe uh, except last night, <laughs> uh, I didn't sleep all night and it wasn't because of uh, uh, I felt in danger, but there was artillery, um, which was from the Israeli side, firing into Lebanon the whole night and I couldn't sleep a wink. 
So I'm here and I couldn't sleep, not so much because of a feeling of risk for myself, but the feeling of pain of what is happening on the other side, the people that are getting, you know, shells rained down on them and and the general disturbance of violence. So I didn't sleep all night, but I'm basically okay. <laughs> and my wife, Rachel, and we're, we're here. Most of the kids have, uh, uh, and the young people have left our village and the sort of older guys are still hanging around. And I'm, I'm running around feeding the animals of people who've <laughs> gone off to safer places. Um, but our heart can be really touched at this time and we can feel utterly overwhelmed and I want to address one, some some questions uh, because I have to say it isn't just us here. It's also in a way you there because we're all sensitive beings and there's violence in the States and there's violence in the world and there's violence. Okay, it's broken out big time right where I am, but um, it really touches all of us. So what I want to say actually is not just related to violence in a certain specific place right now here and there are many many questions um how do we face the the anger and the divisions and the violence and how do we hold the dualities of we can feel really peaceful we meditate we have trees outside we walking the streets of berkeley um and then there's violence and and out here the the there's trees, olive trees peacefully. We're in the middle of a olive harvest right now. And uh, my wife and I engage with that. And, uh, and then F-16 planes flying over. So the olive harvest brings peace and quiet. And then the F-16 planes zooming over us and the, and the artillery. And how do we hold both? And what can we do that's meaningful? It means you and I. So I think the first thing, a primary thing, I'm going to talk for about 20 minutes, if that's all right, uh, James. If The first thing is not to blame ourselves for fear and anger. Because in the Dharma community, we often build a little bit of unre unreality. We think we shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't be angry. And it's very primary and very basic. It's our primary a movement of survival is fear. So it's, and, 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 and it can go to anxiety and concern. And um, neurology says that the basic background state of the brain is mild anxiety. <laughs> and, uh, and that the consciousness itself is, is about processing, it means how can we survive tomorrow and what I have to do so the brain is built around security and insecurity. And so fear is primary. The other day I woke up in the morning at 4.30 uh, with a lot of fear in the body and there was no significant reason for it, but I just felt I was picking it up like I had antenna and they were picking up fear from everywhere and it was in the body and I just sort of allowed it to be there uh, saw it flowing through the body and then um, did a, a very specific act of renunciation saying that's enough fear I've seen you thank you very much I'm going to have a cup of tea <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it is helpful so it's understanding that a lot of fear that we experience all of us 
comes from the unconscious, comes from we, because we're sensitive, open be, human beings, and we're picking it up from all over, and it's very primary and very basic. We can help by reducing the input, the deluge of information. Just before he died, the Buddha uh, said, be an island to yourself to yourselves. And he meant be an island standing with autonomy, with independence in the middle of the stormy seas, within the stormy seas. In other words, be careful not to get swept away. And I'm reminded of a quote from um, in the in the 60s, there was a peacemaker called A.J. Must, who was sitting outside the uh, Pentagon in the time of the Vietnam War, doing a vigil with a candle. And people were saying to him, what, you, one person, a vigil outside the, 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 the Pentagon, you can change something? And he said, no, you don't understand. I don't, I'm not sitting in a vigil to change them. I'm sitting in a vigil so that they don't change me. And it's a beautiful statement. So we need, in a way, to know how to find our autonomy, our independence, how to stand firm in the stormy seas, which are very often the stormy seas of consensus. In, the whole, in Israel right now, the stormy seas of consensus is saying, you know, we have to attack, we have to wipe out Gaza. There's a consensus which is really difficult and it's sweeping us. And we have to be able to stand against sometimes the consensus, which is not wise. And, the, and when the Buddha was asked how you do this, be an island, he said, connect with your deeper truth, a place you can rely on. And he actually quoted then uh, the Satipatthana Sutta. When there is breathing, there is breathing. When there is feelings, there is feelings. When there is uh, thought, there is thought. When there is senses open, there is senses open. But I want to kind of um, take it one more step. Our truth is actually a ground for us, is a point of view of life. When we breathe, we are connecting to the point of view of life, not the point of view of me. What's wrong? What I have to worry about? What I have to think about? What's the problem? It's connecting to our inner nature. And, it's an, and, and this is a place where we can stand. So the woman that said, I, I'm talking about the trees and the F-16s above, and, and there's a woman that said, how do I hold this? And the answer is that um, we can see it as different points of view. So a point of view, a life point of view is saying, yes, I can feel good with the trees, with the breathing, with the air, with the, the life, with the connections to the world, with nature, with standing on this earth, standing in, being in a refuge. And the personal point of view says, yes, there is violence and there's F-16 planes flying above me. And we hold the two. They are different points of view. We need to hold them both and understand them both. So uh, our emotional life can help us with that. And there's a beautiful quote 
from Eti Hillesam that I want to read, that many of you may know this already, but it's so ripe for these times. Um, so I'd just like to read, it's a short quote. Eti Hillesam, in case you, um, you don't know, she was in the time of the Second World War, and she was a Jewish woman in Amsterdam, and she wrote a diary called the diary, her diary, Eti Hillesam's diary, and uh, the Gestapo were out in the streets. And it's really the sort of feeling that we all feeling here now in Israel, the same feeling she was feeling, but she took it to a really special place. So I want to read a, a short quote. And it's about emotions and pain. She says, give your sorrow all the space and shelter in yourself that it needs. For if everyone bears his grief honestly and courageously, the sorrow that now fills the world will lessen. But if you do not clear a decent shelter for your sorrow and instead reserve most of the space inside you for hatred and thoughts of revenge, from which new sorrows will be born for others, then sorrow will never cease in this world and will multiply. But if you have given sorrow the space its gentle origins require, then you may truly say life is beautiful and so rich. So it's a beautiful ending to a quote that is saying, yes, we can feel sorrow and pain, but if we are giving it space, truth of that emotion, connecting with the truth of it and with the space of it, being with the pain, it opens us to a bigger picture, a life picture. And it takes us out of our filtering. That means the personal filter. So, um, I think steadiness and equanimity are key places that can bring us help in crises and in challenge and in violence. I had the challenge the other day, I was in the local town and I met a woman that said, uh, we have to destroy, wipe out Gaza. We have to wipe out Gaza. There's nothing else to do, wipe them out. So what do you say in a situation like that with someone in that set? Not easy. I answered to her, and I can't challenge the view and say, uh, argue, because it's just no point. But I did ask her to reflect what will be the consequence of that. What seeds will be planted by such a view? Where will it take us? The Gaza war, this is the fourth time, I've written an article on the Gaza war, and it's the fourth or fifth time, I can't even remember, and each time I just change the date. And the same article is the, exactly the same, and the article basically says that the reactivity, the, the, the violence, breeding more violence, just gets it ready to happen again. And the example is that it hasn't solved anything. Four or five times there's been desperate suffering in Gaza, violence from Israel's side, violence to the Israel side. 
And the same again. And it all says what hasn't happened, the seeds that weren't sown, the actions that were not taken. The Buddha once said, um, and this is an interesting reaction. The Buddha once said, someone asked the Buddha, how do you respond to people with very strong views and uh, very strong um, belief systems? And the Buddha said, well, if someone has very strong views and holds them with very strong emotions, you can't do much. <laughs> you can do quite a lot if the views are not so strong or if the emotion is not so strong, then you can talk to that person and it'll be not so, it won't be so easy, but you can do. But if someone holds strong views and strong emotions, you can't argue with them, but never underestimate the power of equanimity is the bottom line and it works equanimity is a power i have to share a small story we've done a lot of work with israelis and palestinians over many many years going to the palestinian areas in the west bank and bringing groups of israelis and in deep in dialogue together one usually it really worked well because we had a lot of preparation and ways using dharma using mindful awareness and 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 metta um, but one day it all blew up. <laughs> the whole thing blew up. And everyone was shouting, you're killers, you're just soldiers, you want to do it. And the, 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 the Israelis shouting, you're terrorists, you blew up. Never, it usually never happened. But this time it did. I didn't know what to do. So I took a chair and sat in the middle. And after five minutes, the whole thing settled down and, there, and, and everyone was in dialogue again. And I turned to the Palestinian facilitator and said, sorry, I blew it. <laughs> I totally failed. I couldn't hold it. And she said, no, 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 you don't realize you did hold it because it all settled down after five minutes because you were sitting with equanimity right in the middle of it. And it never occurred to me, but it worked. I then I realized the equanimity of me sitting quietly was a model. And we've done um, years of peace walks through Israel and Palestine. And one of the reasons we're doing these, these peace walks is to be a model of what's possible when people don't experience peace. What is peace like? Because they've forgotten. So is Israelis and Palestinians, Jews and Arabs, we walked in a quiet, long line, slow walking Dharma Yatra through towns, villages, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, the, the, and the fields and the small kibbutzim and the villages in, in Palestine. Just slow, Jews and Arabs without flags, without just slowly and quietly in one long line saying with our bodies, Peace is possible here. This is what it's like. So equanimity is close to refuge. And as I said in the meditation, refuge is really important. People here are going into the shelters, but then they come out. But refuge is a shelter that we never need to leave. It holds us deeply. It's an invisible shelter. I don't know if you know the Psalms in the, um, there's a beautiful phrase 
in the Psalms, which expresses refuge, which is go and be held under the wings of the goddess. In Hebrew, Shechina, the god Shechina means presence actually in Hebrew, but it's you could say it's the goddess under the wings of the goddess. It's a beautiful expression or image. It's in the Psalms of refuge. But I have to say, sometimes the refuge disappears. Sometimes we don't know our inner truth. Sometimes it vanishes. It's easily squashed. We do need to do something to protect our invisible refuge, our invisible, our truth inside. We need sometimes to be active, to, to share with Sangha, to go on retreats, to, to really hold and know our inner truth, which keeps us, like the Buddha said, standing on our ground. So one place which is, again, a default, which is really primary, um, is compassion. And compassion is on the other side of fear and anxiety and concern. And compassion is renewed by understanding our own fragility, our own vulnerability. We are vulnerable beings. We are fragile. And if we understand and connect with our own vulnerability, we connect to everyone's vulnerability. It opens our heart. We feel the pain of others. We feel our own pain. And all the time, I think we do need to do practice with equanimity, which is to extend the boundary. So the boundary is often, you know, I have equanimity, I have, sorry, compassion for my group, but not for those over there. But it needs an act of understanding, of listening, of awareness to feel, wait a minute, my vulnerability is the same as theirs. Their vulnerability is mine. On the other side of the border in Lebanon, they're suffering. On this side, they're suffering. And that, that compassion is a power for us to act in life. It's a really, it, compassion is active. Compassion is the action of the heart, is the heart engaged in life. And compassion will tell us what to do. And often we don't know what to do, but it, we can listen to the call of a compassionate heart and it will tell us what to do. It, it will call us. It's not just the mind that will tell us where to go, that give us a kind of compass. The compassion is a compass. We feel it and maybe it, it doesn't have it. It isn't logical. When when we were doing all the peace work in, in, in Israel, Palestine, people would say, what? You're crazy. You're going to you're going to dangerous places. Nobody goes there these days to the, this was years ago. Nobody goes there. You're crazy. We say, yes, we're from, we're in the Dharma and we're crazy. <laughs> but it's compassion that actually leads, led us there. The heart says, I have to be there. We don't know. You may not have an idea. It may be stupid. It may be not worth it. Who knows? Karma is so much bigger than us. We don't know where the actions will take us. We don't know where the waves that we're doing by, by our action are going to, where they're going to go. 
We can't measure the karma is so much bigger. But our compassionate heart will say, you go there. And maybe it's to our neighbor. And maybe it's someone that needs us. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's an animal. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's, it, 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 it's a call. And it energizes our heart. So um, a question, how can, what can you and I do these days? I think that one thing that's important in mindfulness, and we may not realize it, but mindful awareness, which is connecting to our awareness of our life, can connect us to what is important. Our awareness, our attention is constantly hijacked. It's hijacked by the media. It's hijacked by other people. It's hijacked by what others tell us we have to think and believe. Mindfulness can be really helpful to say, no, wait a minute. What matters right now? I'm going to be aware, use my awareness to see what is important. And we win back our attention. And our attention could go into places which are not so obvious. For example, and I know James would kind of support this. In the midst of difficulty, we can feel a huge joy. We, but the joy is coming from mindful awareness of our being, even though around us is a lot of suffering and pain and even violence. But it's saying, I can still feel joy because this life is precious and, and I will not get sucked into complaint and misery and anger and, uh, and, and, and agitation, restlessness, which is often you know, a big issue. Mindfulness will help us see things more deeply. And, and this life is precious, and this day is precious. And mindfulness will tell us what's precious. A second place that I would um, suggest that is uh, keep asking questions. Because this woman that met me in the local town that said, we have to wipe them out. Um, I really could only ask her questions. Where will that bring us? What do you think is helpful? And we have to really keep asking questions and really asking where this thing is going. Behind the questions is the deepest and most profound and most, I think, supportive Dharma teaching. That, that that exists and Sariputta said it it's Paticca Samupada dependent arising it is such a basic teaching it's so beautiful and important for us to understand this teaching and the teaching basically says this moment of experience is created by multiple conditions, causes and conditions. 
this human being, Stephen, James, Judy, Gary, I'm looking at you, Jane, uh, Carol, Scott, I'm looking at you. Each of us are created by multiple conditions. We're not human beings. We're compounded from the world. We're expressions of the world that are collected together into a body and into a mind and into a person. And it really is a supportive uh, teaching because it shows it says that everything is dynamic. Everything is constantly made by causes and conditions. And it means that we can sow different seeds and create conditions for something different. And it's in all our possibilities to do that. And it, it's, it means life is very flexible and dynamic. Things are not made of stone. I like the Angulimala Sutta that um, some of you may know about. Angulimala was so violent, but he could become a arhant, an enlightened monk at that time, an enlightened practitioner with the Buddha, even though he killed so many people because karma is not made of stone. Everything is flexible. Everything can be shifted because of causes and conditions, because of Paticca Samupada. So we, we make our life as we go along. It's a dynamic process. We make this moment. We construct this moment, our experience in, in the now. And this big picture is hugely helpful to us and important to us. The Thich Nhat Thanh statement of interbeing is another way of looking at it. We are in total relationship. We think we're a person like in a box, but actually we are in total dynamic relationship. And it really helps us to understand and to work with <clears throat> and to sow new seeds and to try and uh, make change. And the final word is uh, we don't need to measure. We're not in control of life. Life is in control of us. That's also coming from Paticca Sambhupada. So we don't need to measure, oh, how effective is this action I can take? Maybe action to help peace, maybe action in politics, maybe action in our community. Oh, it doesn't, no one's going to pay attention. Oh, it's not going to make a difference. Oh, it's, no, we don't know where the action is going to go. Uh, in the statement that I sent around, and I think James has sent it to all of you, I call the sort of actions that we can take, they still keep small candle burning in a dark room. And that's all we can do. And it's that is what we can do. We don't need to measure where it all goes because life is bigger than us and we're not in control. But what we can do is keep the small light burning. So thank you. Um, I'm happy for questions. And uh, uh, maybe, James, you'll host uh, the questions. And if you yourself, James, want to kind of uh, ask or respond, of course, welcome. Um, well, I have some things, but maybe we'll uh, open it up first to the, uh, the community and uh, see what's there. So you probably know at the bottom of your screen, uh, if you 
have a usual Zoom Zoom screen at the bottom. There's a reactions box um, and an icon, probably a little bit over to the right side. And if you hit that icon and then open it up, there's a raise hand feature. And if you hit that, then I can I can call on on you and um, and you can ask a question with Stephen. I'll, I'll spotlight you. So um, let's see first if there are things from from the group. What would you like to either ask or comment and uh, and and keep in mind uh, to be you know fairly uh, succinct because there might be a, a number once we get rolling. So um, Jane, um, how about you? Can uh, ask uh, ask your question for your teaching today. Um, calmed me down quite a bit. <laughs> so thank you so much. And um, so I am aware of um, the indoctrination that probably goes on on both sides, but particularly we're in the Palestinian territories with the children and that they're truly taught to hate Jews and to kill Jews and to try to get their homeland back. And I don't know how do we how do we act in that situation when you have a partner that really, and I know there's many Palestinian people who don't act that way, but I believe the schools are very strong in presenting that message. And um, I'm at a loss of um, how to act in that situation. Um, on the kind of functional level, it needs wisdom. And the wisdom needs to start now. <laughs> Uh, but to have a long-term view. If the children in Palestinian schools could, would see uh, Israelis differently, uh, would see the benefit, for example, uh, that, that Israelis could give them because of the, um, the wealth, relative wealth, uh, they would have, the, the views would change and they can change. Um, I have one of... I met many Palestinian kids in our workshops that we did with Israelis and Palestinians. And when they saw Israelis in uh, talking with them, um, one Palestinian kid said, I always, I was taught to believe that all Israelis were bad and soldiers and that, and also human beings had a hard heart. Now I see talking to you that the human heart is not, just hard but is also soft and so it, it's true there's heavy conditioning and by the way there's pretty heavy conditioning on the other side as well uh, that uh, you you know you just go out and take any taxi in Tel Aviv and they they would more or less say the same thing about about Palestinians so you need to undo that steadily and slowly by in two directions. One is meeting, dialogue, connection. And the second one is a little bit paying a price, which is giving, supporting, giving humanitarian help, giving like there's so much wealth and it can we can do something different. I'm living in the Galilee with the Arab, with the local Arabs. And we are really fine together. We are supportive. We're friends. We, 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 our village, the Arabs come and the kids come and play and they just learned a different dialogue. So you have to have patience, mm -hmm. but you can do a lot to change that conditioning uh, 
but it takes a while because it, the condition is strong. So you have to do it step by step and on the way, look after things that, you know, you don't get to, you have protection, but you need patience, but it can be done. Thank you. Thank mm. you very much. Thank you for being here so early in your morning. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks. And just want to uh, add, a, uh, just following up on that, that, the more we understand the conditioning, the less our, um, the lessening of our hatred or blame. It's just like you were pointing out with dependence origination, it's all causes and conditions. This doesn't arise out of, out of nowhere. So just to even acknowledge the conditioning instead of the mind says saying, why are they like that? It's, oh, why are they like that? And and really, really reflecting on how the causes and conditions uh, came together for them to be that way. So I'll I'll just uh, now call on uh, Dina, um, and I'll and you can unmute yourself. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Dina. Hi. Hi. I hope I can say this because I am extremely triggered right now. I should tell you I am calling in from Israel. I live in Jerusalem. Two of my boys are up in the north with their reserve units, not too far from where you live, Stephen, probably, although I don't know exactly. I can really resonate with the wish for peace. I'm also tremendously distressed by the way even you opened this evening because you started talking about the suffering on the other side and the F-16s and it's as if this is happening in a vacuum and it isn't. And you, you lump all of us here in Israel together as though it's one lump. We all have, you said, consensus. There's a consensus that we want to live and we don't want to be killed and we don't want to be slaughtered the way you saw was done just barely over a week ago. To me, it feels like it's endless. And I am a mindfulness practitioner and I've been using it regularly to try to stabilize. But isn't there a place for seeing a fuller truth? It's not that we want to destroy Gaza. I don't want to destroy Gaza. I think that's inaccurate to present it that way. And if someone says it that way, because they're just being sloppy with their language, but the language is critically important. The problem we have is, is not Gaza. It's not Palestinians. It's a murderous organization that wants to wipe us off the map. That's not an exaggeration. It's in their charter. It's their reason for existence. And when I see the images I mean, I'm setting aside right now how painful it is for me to see what's going on on my side, so to speak. I don't want anyone hurt on the other side, and neither does anyone that I know. We've been tremendously hurt by this, and it's sitting on generations of hurt. So you're going to talk about a highly traumatized, I think humankind is highly traumatized. I have Palestinian friends. If you go to the doctors, the hospitals in Israel, you'll see the staff is made up of everybody. Palestinians, Christians, Jews, 
but we are stuck tragically in this, this thing where there are people really out to get us. They really, really want us dead. They want us gone. There's no room for negotiation from that side of the position. That's not, you can't talk about Gaza. You have to talk about Hamas. And then there's Palestinians. And then there's Israeli Arabs. And there are Jews across the spectrum. There are Christians across the spectrum. And one thing I understood from the Dharma is the importance of clear seeing. If this stuff isn't seen very clearly and very specifically, it just creates more of this mess. And so there's a tremendous amount of pain. I try to keep my heart open all the time. I am very aware that there's suffering on both sides, but if, if we don't see very clearly that that Israel and Jews now everywhere in the world open the paper, it's frightening. There seems to be justification for murdering me. Any of you out there who are Jewish, you're targets. We are targets. This isn't a game. They're serious. And it's a horrible thing to hold. That's what I have to hold in me, I'm sure. I'm not the only one. I'm just telling you what I'm experiencing. It's tremendous pain. Thank you. I don't want to hate, but I don't want to be killed. I don't want my kids to be killed. I don't want my kids to kill their kids either. And we are stuck. But let's at least see it more clearly, more specifically don't make statements about we want to kill Gaza and destroy Gaza. I doubt, I can't swear for everyone, obviously, but I really doubt that that's the position of many, many Israelis. I mean, you have to really listen to the voices and meet the people. Everyone wants to sit under those olive trees. I don't know. Thank you for listening. I just hope we're all safe and well. And that this could come to an end, although I don't really know how. And uh, so I'll stop. Thank you. Thank you, Dina. And you touched all of us. And there are, you know, little tears in my eyes too. And I don't think, I don't feel like responding. I know, I think you're expressing what you're expressing is your truth and, and, and a, a deep truth. There's always steps to take. There's what I'm really talking about is actions that weren't taken year after year, generation after generation actions that were not taken but i really feel right now the sense of vulnerability that you feel and so many feel and from that place some people do you know go into um i was only talking about one woman that said that i met i didn't say that everybody's like that but it's really a hard time it touches all of us and right now in this moment yes we all share what you're saying i i 
I don't have any anything more to add. Your 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 pain has just touched all of us. Okay. Thank you. Um, Eileen, um, uh, did you want to come on up? Let me see. I just, uh oh, put your hand up again so I can, I can, uh, I can find you. There you are. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. My question has to do with much of what Dina shared. I have many friends, fellow practitioners and students um, who are struggling with this and who are coming to me explicitly for some kind of guidance on how they can hold this. And there are teachings clearly, there are practices clearly, but I feel so massively, there's just a sense of, I do not have the moral authority to offer solace to someone who is bearing a pain I can't even imagine. So one of them was speaking about family, Holocaust, and, I and I'm like, I can't, I, not because I don't want to, but it feels like I don't have the, the ground to speak to that depth of suffering. And sometimes I listen to myself and it's like, I don't know if it sounds trite for, for lack of a better phrase. And I, I do know enough to sometimes just be silent and to receive. And then there are the explicit requests. What can I do? How can I? So. My question is, for those of us who are with you in this, what are ways that we can provide support that will not cause hurt or harm and that will not give any sense of, I know what it's like because I don't, I really don't, I can't even imagine. So that's my question. Yeah, thank you, Eileen. And there's a Firstly, I have to say that right now the Dharma community in uh, in Israel, and we have a pretty big Dharma community, and they're extremely active, going out to help people who have been through this this terrible violence, and um, and going to groups and going to, and what what they they're not teaching mindfulness they're dharma people but their heart they come with their heart and the heart will tell in each case what's needed and here you need all your wisdom your heart your awareness to see what's needed in each particular place and you of course you cannot at time you, there's no one protocol to deal with such situ situation like that deep listening really helps giving space to the pain, allowing the pain, holding the the person, the pain, the, the uh, a sense that it is held, it is meaningful, and offering any kind of resource 
when the pain is less intense, then there is a place maybe for help in terms of settling the mind or working with inner life. And often that's much more like in retreats, if we have people with very intense pain, we tend to do cooking together. We tend to do, um, you know, we work in the kitchen together, uh, we share together and we have moments of, of silence together, but not intensive practice. So resources, building resources in life, being in nature and slowly, slowly going to a place where the pain is less, going to places with, with, with practice. I once had a group of elderly they were all, they were from the kibbutzim, they were all above 70. And one practitioner was really, really into the practice and he loved it. And we were talking about pain and suffering. And he said, I can cope with any pain and suffering. I use mindful awareness. I use presence. I work with it. I touch it. I, 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 I work with it. I, I, it's workable. But there's one pain that is not workable and it's not part of this this group. And he rolled up his arm and he showed the number of being a um, in a concentration camp in Germany. This is out of the room. And I can only say that's a great wisdom. That we can't expect to deal with all the suffering in one go. At times it's overwhelming. And we have to respect that and say this. There is no technique here. Just presence, listening support and some if possible resources to help in a way come back to life to to resources from life thanks Eileen um Kimberly uh, hi aloha Stephen shalom thank you hi, so Kimberly. much you know, I heard your talk on Sunday as well in your meditation. Thank you so much. You are doing so much good. I mean, I know you know this and everybody does, but I feel a need to personally thank you. And something you spoke about on Sunday, I, I wanted to see if you, another ask another question about a concrete example. I have some ideas, but you talk, we were talking about the constructs of the mind and I'm looking at my notes just so that I don't misquote the originator and how our brains are set to always be looking for in normal times, if those exist anymore, but is this okay, you know, and, and how to survive and, and is this the problem or is that, you know, what is the solution? And, and you talked about working with the neuroscientists about undoing the prison of the constructs of the mind, this way of, you know, the reptilian brain and reactive brain. I'm curious, your take on that for what we can do. I, I, I have a guess what James might suggest with awakening joy. <laughs> and I'm trying to apply that, but I was curious from you, Stephen, what you might suggest, please. Well, I think we need to acknowledge that along with primal fear, there is primal trust. And that there is a place that we can trigger. And we know it from a baby. I, as a grandfather, you know, I was holding small babies and doing walking meditation with them. And they went to sleep in my arms. Well, they didn't know me. I wasn't a parent. 
but there was trust. A baby could just fall asleep in my arms of a basically a stranger, and I was doing walking meditation. And I kind of, I think trust is also a power. It's the first of the five powers. I've written a book on the five powers. It's the number one. And it, we, we, the brain is built as a survival mechanism and with predictive processing and having to work out what I need to do to survive and to cope and to, for things to be better and so on. But there's also a place of trust. And on the deeper level of, I would say, the spiritual life, this place of trust is because of interbeing. Because we know that this human being is constructed by the world. And therefore, the world is not against me because I'm the world and the world is with me. There, there, there is, there, that's a deep understanding which, which we can kind of develop through our insight in the Dharma that the world is not against me. We may feel like it because the person wants to survive, but actually on a deeper look, our interbeing, interrelation with everything tells us that that you know there is. If you're part of the world, who who's who's fighting who? Who's 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 we we we're, we're part of the universe. So what's against what? So from the I know it's a big picture. Okay, it's a bit abstract, but if we can really feel that sense and it is there in us as a deeper understanding that we are part of the world and that gives trust and gives sense of belonging and maybe we'll only survive this length of time or maybe another but still we can feel that and we can actually celebrate that even in times of great difficulty this sense of belonging of merging of connecting of interbeing it's always there for us. It, we can access it. I'm hearing you say that human connection for me is how I hear that is, is something. So it's wonderful the people who are joining us from all over the world to reach out and hopefully soothe their nervous systems by connecting with us and know that we are all with everyone and wanting peace with everyone. Thank you, Stephen. It's right, uh, Kimberly, but it's more than human connection. It's in the deeper sense, it is our connection with everything. It, it's more than just it. Sangha is, is an example of this, and it's really, really important. And it's key that we feel together with others, the kindness. But on a deeper level, our, our connection is wider than that. And actually, that's what gives the joy when you we go picking olives. <laughs> it's a connection with the olive tree. The olive tree is talking to us just like another human being, like a friend. The olive tree is saying, I'm here. I'm breaking olives. Hi, how are you? And we're saying to the olive tree, we're here. We're together with you. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's yes, human connection, but more. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so there, we just have a few minutes left, and we'll we'll see if we can uh, move through the these questions uh, uh, fairly briefly. And I, I have a few words at the end. So uh, Howard, you unmute yourself now. It's it, you, you have to go to the microphone. <laughs> you, you were doing <laughs> you were doing a fine job before. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've been so inspired by everything 
you've said I, I've kind of lost track of where to begin, but here's what I want to do is peel back the onion from the cause to the cause of that to the cause of that and to start back that I agree the default, uh, not even not even a mixture, but the default uh, mode of humans is trust and sharing um, interdependency being the tendency enabling our ascendancy. Um, with the nature provided us with everything we needed and it was a dynamic and dangerous place, but we survived because we lived in a state of grace and grew at nature's pace. Um, the state of grace is living a life aligned with the centerpiece of our design, the need to cooperate. Um, and that requires the trust of each other. We need each other. Uh, the state of grace achieves when one perceives the unity of all things that all fates are entwined. And then how did we get here? Well, I say we developed an accidental and detrimental skill. We used that skill so much it was delightful and then it was addictive. And when you're addictive to something so long, you atrophy the skill you had before you used that. Um, you get to be where, here's the thing about it, pretty soon you can't do without it. People think we can't do without cars because everything's built for cars now. Similarly, the thing we became addicted to is symbolic language. And symbolic language is what we're using now, but it went wrong when it evolved into symbolic value, a thing called ownership in a universe that there's only ours. There's no yours, no mine. It's only ours. And when you have symbols that addict you so much, you forget how to share, then you get things like titles like Israel, Palestine, mine, yours, politics. How do we get out of that? Meditation. Meditation for the moment, we stop putting labels. So I suggest we look for the awe, A-W-E, of living in the moment and sharing. One person individually, yeah. Each light your candle. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Howard. One, one, you said the onion. There is a great Jewish rabbi um, who said, life is an onion. You peel and peel and peel and peel, and what's left? Tears. <laughs> and then, but. And then joy. But I said this to Christopher one day, who's an old friend of mine, Christopher Titmus, and he said, yes, of course, tears of joy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We'll get Thank to you. the person now. Uh, Steve. Uh, yes, I will be very brief. Earlier on, thank you for being here. Earlier on in your talk, uh, you mentioned about someone telling you uh, you're crazy to go to places that you, uh, where you'll be personally, your personal safety will be at risk. So I was overwhelmed by your response. I wonder if you could touch on that a little more. I and mean, what are we to do to, to keep ourselves safe, but, but put ourselves out there? And we certainly want to be safe when we, when we put ourselves out there. So I just, you know, I just, admire your courage, but what can we do uh, to get more to that place of So, um, I think the Dharma really helps here. The meditation practice, mindfulness practice really helps because uh, it gives empowerment inside. And, and and it also 
allows you to take risks, but not stupid ones. <laughs> but it allows us to take risks because we're not all the time watching for safety. It's not that we don't, of course, actually, when as a driver of a car, I think mindfulness helps us drive better because we're not all the time busy with, I have to worry about everything on the road. We're actually driving well. So kind of mindful awareness, I think, gives us a sense that we can not be taken over by uh, fear and, 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 and too much insecurity. And we have a different attitude to the, the, this body. But also we're careful. So that, that is uh, apamada means careful mindfulness taking care as well so we didn't do anything really grossly stupid but uh we could say i'm ready to take some risks because i'm you know because my practice allows that the dharma the, the buddha took plenty of them by the way we it, it gives more space we give more space of action in the world mm -hmm. thank you thank you very much and uh last 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 question uh or comment surely uh, put you here. There you go. Uh, it's Moon. Hi. Oh, oh Moon. Did you, did you, did you me? No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, Stephen, thank you. I wanted to ask you a question from a uh, perspective of the early 60s. As a uh, nonviolent activist, we are tremendously concerned about the polarization of this country. We're trying to change this country. And so during that period of time, our ranks were split by people who wanted armed struggle, other, others like me who are nonviolent. And I'm wondering, in terms of a vision, I'm very concerned about the abyss we're in with uh, the defense minister referring to some as human animals, with Hamas, with all this polarization. And I'm concerned about the, the polarization in this country and in the Middle East. And I'm wondering, we look forward to hand in hand together uh, we shall overcome things like that. And I'm wondering, in terms of a vision, or what suggestions might you have for how people in this country could help in this process of becoming more fully human? Yeah, it, I think that uh, the division is ex being experienced all over the planet. There is a fundamental insecurity that's driving people to go to ex more extremes, more divisiveness. It's amazing the language that I hear from the States, the division in the States. You wouldn't, uh, compared to the 60s, it's unimaginable. Uh, unimaginable. Um, so I think there's really two ways that suggest. One is constant, deep listening. And when you're listening to someone from the other side who's making another view, the deep listening would be more like, how are your, is your life? Tell me about your life. Let me understand. Let me put myself in your shoes and understand where you're coming from. And there is a place of undoing the division. So it's really dialogue, people meeting in circles, in meetings and feeling each other's life and understanding how it is to be in each other's shoes and the second place is about to deal somewhere with insecurity the world is getting more insecure people are more anxious and frightened and a lot of the uh and then they they hunker down they come back to kind of primal places 
in the in in fear people go back to this primal place and so it really needs to do everything you can to equanimity steadiness relaxing helping people to overcome their fears feeling safe despite a changing unstable experience unstable circumstances uh, so there were the two things i think that that might help but it's will be in your circle all you can do is what the person next door or the group you meet or or this group here in in berkeley you know in our circles that we can do that we can do that thank you sue thank you uh i'm going to come on up here and join you just for the end um just uh, two things i wanted to um to add and and then you we can uh you can have a last word one is um I'm putting in the chat box now a YouTube clip of a 19-year-old Israeli girl um, that has moved me tremendously. She was she's on the border of Gaza, and many of her she was uh, in all the uh, in the attack, and many of her friends died. And she's she's talking from a place of trauma and uh, and and and. Uh, and and grief, really powerful. Where she says, "Don't talk to me about revenge." She's looking right at the camera, and she, it it was like as I mentioned to a few friends, it's like it was like um, Greta Thunberg on steroids. Just somebody who's who's demanding that everybody wake up, uh, and uh, very moving. A nine a nine minute clip uh, that I invite everybody to to see a possibility, even in the midst of incredible um, dysregulation. Uh, and there she was, her practice so strong. And the other thing that I, I wanted to share is a quote from Martin Luther King. It's, it's his version of of the Buddha's hatred never ceases by hatred, but he says it in such a beautiful way that is so um, poignant at this time. He says, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So this is something for us all to just keep in mind, no matter how much we get activated, um, not to succumb to hatred, but to, as Stephen was pointing out, just seeing causes and conditions, causes and conditions, and doing what you can with fierce compassion that's coming from love to, um, to respond wisely. Um, and um, this is the koan for us all. So Stephen, I'm, I'm so grateful for you to, um, to come here, especially after not having any sleep with uh, 
with the the rockets going off all night and still functioning quite highly at this time of the morning for you. Um, why don't you close out with uh, with a bit of a, a loving kindness and dedication of, of the merit for us? Yeah, thank you, James, and thank you for the invitation, and thank you all of you for, and for your engagement. Uh, it's very precious. So let's just settle back into our experience, our, what our heart is telling us right now. Just connect with that. Listening to the heart. And we can embrace ourselves and our heart with an embrace of kindness. It's an embrace that is inside and outside. and give appreciation to ourselves, to our lives, to our hopes. Give appreciation to each other. Appreciation to all the teachings that have come through the ages that help us to live a fulfilled life. and appreciation for this mysterious existence. So we take a breath and thank you. Well, may our coming here together be a benefit to uh, everyone here on the line and uh, may it ripple out to all beings everywhere. Thank you so much for coming everyone. And again, uh, thank you so much for, for being with us, Stephen. Uh, and stay safe and uh, keep up the good work. Uh, thank you.